right, if you'll take your Bible and uh, open to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. Uh, I am not starting the pardon today. I think there was a little confusion about that. Um, I'm going to start the pardon next week. But um, I'm going to preach a sermon that really I had planned to preach on January 3rd. But we had one of our church planters in town, and I wanted you to hear uh, what God was doing through him in Santa Cruz, California. And so I let him preach that day, and I thought, oh, one week, that's not going to hurt anything. And then the COVID hits, and I'm, you know, two weeks out with that. And so, uh, I, I, but I really do feel compelled to, to preach this particular message this morning, uh, really as a reminder to many of us but also as a point of clarity, maybe for some of you who are new to our church, about what we're really all about here and what we believe that God wants to do through us and what Jesus told us to do. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Welcome to those of you who join us right now on Facebook Live or on our webcast or on various other formats. Thank you for being here. You're now part of First Baptist Church, Wichita Falls, Texas, no matter where you are. And we're glad that you've chosen to join us for these uh, few minutes together as we open God's Word. Also, uh, welcome to the church at Shepherd and our West Campus. We are one church multiplied this morning, so we're, we're glad about that. When I was a kid, my mom took pictures of our family or home videos, uh, home movies, not videos, home movies, on Kodak cameras. Um, we shopped at Sears and bought our clothes for school. And uh, when I got, got a little bit older, we went to uh, Blockbuster Video to rent VCR tapes, okay, in the beginning. And then it became DVDs. And then I walked into my first Toys R Us one day and I thought I was in heaven. Now, those four places all have, four companies all have something in common. First of all, they were at one time industry leaders. Kodak was like the thing when it came to film and photography. Uh, Kodak was like the top of their industry for over 100 years. Sears pioneered catalog buying in the late 1800s. And then they opened stores all over the country after World War II and became the number one retailer in America. Uh, Blockbuster was the number one video rental company in the world. And Toys R Us was so huge and so popular, they even bought out FAO Schwartz, the leading toy uh, distributor in America for many, many years. They also have something else in common. They are all virtually now out of business. Kodak is a shell of its former self. When digital photography and photo sharing from phones came along, Kodak sank. Sears, they're virtually gone. Walmart and online shopping got them, and the online shopping got Toys R Us too. And online streaming put Blockbuster out of business. There's not a Blockbuster left in the world. The reality is that when change came, when technology and culture changed, those companies did not change, at least not rapidly enough, not innovatively enough. And because of that, they are gone. Now, you didn't come this morning for a business lecture, and I have no intention of giving you one. But only to say this, the same thing can happen to churches. The same thing can happen to churches. I've been privileged to travel some and to go to some of the great cities of Europe, and I could take you into grand cathedrals that used to be packed with people, and now they are virtually museums. They are dead. You see, the same thing can happen to churches if we are not careful with change. And the reason I say careful is this. 
Not all change is good change. But all change is necessary change sometimes. Change is absolutely necessary. But not every change that we see around us is good. We are living through some of the most rapid changes in the history of civilization. The speed of change has so accelerated in our short lifetimes that it's almost head spinning. We have technology changes all around us. We, we have societal changes all around us. Our culture is rapidly changing. And so here's what we've got to decide. What can change and what must remain the same? See, I want two things to be said about First Baptist Church. I want two things to always be said about us. One is this. Some things at that church never change. I pray that the prophetic call to repentance to a culture that has gone awry never changes in this church. I pray that the proclamation that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven never changes in this church. That salvation is by grace and grace alone and it comes to your life by faith alone through Christ alone. That is the message of the gospel and that is not changing here. That there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And what you do with Jesus is what matters. Those are things that cannot change. But there are some other things that can. And so I pray that people look at us and they say, you know what? Some things down there at that church, they never change. But some things are always changing. They're always changing something down there. And that's our programs, our schedules, our, our methods. Those things have to constantly change. Why? Because the culture around us is changing. Just because something was the hot way to do something in 1973 doesn't mean it's going to work in 2021. It just doesn't. And what I've discovered when I read my Bible is this, that Jesus was the ultimate change agent. Jesus did not come to maintain the status quo. Jesus came to shake things up. He confronted those who had taken the vibrant faith that God wanted from his people and turned it into cold, dead ritual. He got in the face of people who had gone into the temple and set it up to make money. And in the last week before his crucifixion, he goes into the temple and he turns over their tables and the feathers fly because the doves they were, they were uh, selling get released. And, and all of a sudden there is this turmoil in the temple and Jesus caused it. He started it, as a matter of fact. The Bible says that he got a whip and he drove those people out of the temple. This is not a status quo guy. This is a change agent. And so Jesus speaks to us about some things that should change and some things that shouldn't change. And he does it in a couple of parables. So follow me. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 16. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst and the wine pours out. And the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. 
Now, Jesus uses a couple of common examples in the world in which he lived to talk about sometimes the way change is handled poorly and sometimes the way change is handled well. So let me say when it comes to change, we've got a couple of options. Option number one is this. You can reject change. You can reject change. You can say, I'm, I'm, we're not going to change. Nothing around here is going to change. Our friends, the Mennonites, have been rejecting change for over a century. I don't know that they're reaching a lot of people for Jesus. But they're still driving horses and buggies. The fact is that you can reject change. And that's what the first part of this parable is really about. He says a Hebrew housewife has this garment. And it's been washed and it's been dried a hundred times. It's been worn and maybe it's been almost worn to the place of being worn out. And one day she finds a tear in this garment. Now what you need to understand is that this garment is probably made of wool. Because wool was the most common fabric of the day. It was also the least expensive. Sheep were plentiful. Wool was everywhere. It might have been made of Egyptian cotton. But Egyptian cotton was a bit more expensive, and so probably not. But in either case, a garment made of wool or cotton, if it is washed and dried, it goes from one size to another very quickly. It shrinks. Uh, a long time ago, back in the olden days when I was a teenager, um, we didn't have, there weren't pre-shrunk. Remember when there weren't pre-shrunk jeans? Anybody remember that? And you went to the store and you bought like, I wore these jeans intentionally today. These, you know, like the jeans that look new, not the worn out, not the fades, not the, not the rips, not, none of that. You went and bought these really bright blue, blue jeans, but you bought them a size too big. Cause when your mama washed them and put them in the dryer, they were going to shrink. Okay. And that's exactly what happens to this wool or this cotton garment. And it has shrunk. But she discovers a tear in it. And here's what Jesus says. This is the salient point. No one takes an unshrunk patch, sews it onto that garment where there's a tear, and then washes and dries it. Because what happens is this. Now that garment that's already shrunk has this unshrunk fabric patch put on it. And when that fabric patch shrinks, it tears away the rest of the garment. And the garment is just ruined. I believe what Jesus is telling us here is twofold. First of all, there is a personal application in this passage. There's an application for you in this passage. And there's an application for our church. So let me deal with you first. I want to help you with something. Jesus is communicating to us that his gospel, his message, his truth is not meant just to patch you up. It is meant to make you new. Some people come to church, and, and this is not a bad motivation to come to church, but let me, let me just help you with this if, you, if this is why you came. Some people come to church and they say, man, my marriage, it's bad. We're going to go down to church. We're going to learn some stuff about marriage. We're going to patch up this marriage. Okay, if you came for that reason, that's great. But, but I need you to understand that Jesus didn't just come to put a patch on your marriage. Some, some people have financial problems, especially in January. You get all those credit card bills for what you did in November and December. And they go, well, man, we're going to go down to church. We're going to take that Dave Ramsey financial freedom class. We're going we're to we're patch up our finances. 
Or maybe there's just a relationship issue. Maybe there's, you know, I got some problems. I need to learn to forgive somebody. I need, I need forgiveness maybe in a situation. I'm going to go down there and patch this up. Jesus did not come to put a patch on your old life. Jesus came to make you new. That's what he came for. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away and new things have come. I believe when Jesus tells his story about the garment and the patch, what he's saying is, you don't need a patch on your life. You need a new garment of my righteousness. That's what he's saying to us. But he's also saying something to churches, to not just to me personally, but to us. And that is that his gospel is not meant to be put in outdated forms. His gospel needs to be put on new garments for every single generation. And then he talks about wine and wineskins. And if the garment was confusing, the wineskins probably is a little bit too. So let me deal with that. When Jesus talks in verse 17 about new wine and old wineskins, what does all that mean? Well, very simply, by new wine, what Jesus is referring to is fresh squeezed grape juice. Now, they had no way, no refrigeration, no preservatives to preserve fresh squeezed grape juice. The way they preserved it was by turning it into wine, by allowing it to ferment. But Jesus says this, nobody takes that fresh squeezed grape juice and puts it into old wineskins. Now, what's a wineskin? Skillful men could take the skin of a goat, sounds a little gross, and take that skin off and cure the hide of a goat, and it would become like leather, a little thinner than cow's hide, but it would be flexible. They would stitch up the, the leg holes, and they would use the neck as like the device for pouring, or pouring the, the new wine in and then pouring wine out. And they would fill those goat skins, which became a watertight bag, they would fill them about half full. Now there's a reason they filled them half full. Because when grape juice ferments into wine, what we would call wine today, it emits or releases gases. And as it releases those gases, that new wine skin that's about, that wineskin that's about halfway full would puff up like a balloon. And here was the problem. If you used an old, brittle, inflexible wineskin, when those gases were emitted and it puffed up and it blew up, eventually it would rip the wineskin. And here's what Jesus said would happen. Jesus said what would happen is that the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. You lose the wine and the wineskin. Now, what is this meta? What, what is Jesus talking about in this metaphor? I believe, very simply, it's this the wine is the gospel, the wine is the life changing message of Jesus, the wineskin is the way we present it to a culture that is lost. That's our methods, our, our, our programs, the way, we, the way we do things. And here's what Jesus is saying to us, to First Baptist Church Wichita Falls in, in 2021. 
that just because a wineskin has held the wine for 20 or 30 years, it doesn't mean you keep using it. There comes a time when you don't reject change, but you secondly respect change. The second option is that we respect change. Now, I didn't put embrace change. I wrote that down first, but not all change should be embraced. There are some things that should not be changed. You see, some of our friends in Christian circles look at the world today and they say, well, what what we need to do is we need to change not the wineskin, we need to change the wine. Let's don't talk about repentance anymore. Let's don't talk about sin anymore. Let's don't talk about Jesus being the only way to heaven. Let's don't talk about, well, we can talk about heaven, but let's don't talk about hell. Let's change the wine. The reason I want to talk about this is because of the two groups that are seated to my extreme left and right more than anything else. The two groups to my left and right represent two generations. And some of you in the middle are in some of those generations too. But this is Generation Z. The generation that's in high school, middle school, maybe into early college years. These are the millennials. Some of you are millennials. And you have been maligned by people a lot. And I'm not going to do that to you. But here's what I know. The Gen Zs that are sitting right over here. The millennials that are here and in other places in the room. You are the exception to the rule. Because your generation is about 90 percent lost. About 90% lost. Far from God. And they're searching for answers. They want to know how can our culture be different? What is the answer for racism? It's the gospel. That's what it is. It's not a political answer. It's a spiritual answer. And the answer is the life-changing message of Jesus. And let me tell you why changing the wine is dangerous. Because they're not looking for an echo of the culture. They're looking for an alternative to the culture. They they, They see that the culture has gone off the rails. And they're like, nobody can fix this. And we're saying, yes, somebody can. His name is Jesus. But we have to put this eternal life-changing wine in wineskins that we can present and preserve the gospel to this generation of people. I believe that's what Jesus is telling us. That's why he says in this passage, he says, nor do people put wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out. And the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. We need to find fresh wineskins that presents and preserves the gospel to a couple of generations that are lost, and to people in our city who are not of those generations, who are far from God who desperately need the good news. It's good news. 
that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose again to give us life, that in him there is the power to change everything about our lives. We need new wineskins for that. We need, we need Jesus to move in such a powerful way in our lives that when we go out from this place, we minister out of the overflow of what Jesus is doing in us. In 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary became the first Westerner, and, and many people believe the first man to ever climb Mount Everest, he and his Sherpa guide. In the nearly 70 years that have followed, only a little over 800 people have ever actually made the summit of Mount Everest. Now, 800 sounds like a lot of people, but if you divide that by nearly 70 years, that's not a lot of people every year who actually get there. Now, thousands have tried. But one of the people who succeeded in going to the top was a man named David Sharp. David Sharp decided to do something that very few people have done. He was going to solo climb Mount Everest on his own. And amazingly, he made it to the summit. He got to the top of Mount Everest. But on his way back down, he became incredibly ill. I am told, and by what I read... That actually for your body, the climbing of Mount Everest, if done at the right pace, is not nearly as dangerous as coming back down the mountain, the descent. And only a couple of days into his descent, he got very ill. He set up his tent beside the trail and he got worse and worse and worse. And in about five days, David Sharp died of oxygen deprivation on the side of Mount Everest. And that part of the story is sad, but let me tell you the saddest part of the story. The saddest part of the story is this, that upwards of 40 people walked past him while he was dying and nobody stopped to help. They were all on their way to the top. They were all thinking about their pursuit. They were all going for their goals. And they let a man die on the trail that they walked past. How inhumane. How uncaring. How uncompassionate. But are we any better? When our friends are dead in trespasses and sins. And we walk past them every day with the answer. We know the answer. And we never stop to share it with them. Church, I want First Baptist Church to be a place not where we just come and gather, which is important. I'm glad you're here. But a place where we go on mission. A, a people who are in our community. Your mission field is your, is your workplace. It is your neighborhood. It is the team that you play on or those other parents that surround you in that activity that your children are involved in. 
We have the answer. And it is the gospel of Jesus. It's the new wine of the gospel. And Jesus says, put it in a fresh container so that they will receive it and know eternal life. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we want so much more than to be a place where people go and a couple hours on Sunday when we talk about you. Lord, we want to be your people. And we want to be your people in our city and in our schools. We want to be your people at the park and at the field and at the gym. Not just your people in a church. So Lord, send us out. Knowing that your spirit empowers us, grant us courage to speak your truth to friends and family members who are dying and they desperately need you. And some of them don't even know it. Father, do that is our prayer in Jesus' name.